Well, good morning, church. It's so good to be with you. It's amazing how fast the time seems to go. It's uh, hard to believe that we're already into our 11th Sunday of live stream. We started our current series four weeks ago. That also seems a, a little unreal. Pastor Ken started us off with just an intro into this series we're calling Chasing Happiness. Then Pastor Adam took the first beatitude. Last week, Pastor Quinn, the second beatitude. And it's my privilege this morning to explore this third beatitude with you. These short statements found in Matthew chapter 5 are how Jesus started uh, some of his most significant teaching, the teaching that all took place at one point. It covers chapters 5, 6, and 7 in the Gospel of Matthew, and it's become known as the Sermon on the Mount. And what Jesus says here, particularly in the Beatitudes, but in uh, much of the rest of the message as well, what everything that he says is just so countercultural. With his teaching, he reminds us about his upside-down kingdom. What you might expect him to say, he doesn't say. What he says is the opposite, in fact, of what we anticipate that he might say. We could never play that game, you know, complete the sentence, because every time we would guess and we would be totally wrong. And so here on this mountainside, as his disciples and the crowds gathered around him, what they heard coming from the lips of Jesus would have been totally shocking to them. Each statement would have left them reeling in in bewilderment. Blessed are the poor? Really? We thought it would be the rich that would inherit, you know, the kingdom of God. Blessed are those that mourn or those that are sad? We thought it was, you know, the happy-go-lucky that really had a life by the tail. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. I mean, what a silly thing to say. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. You see, Jesus' hearers on that day would have expected that the strong and the powerful would inherit the earth. We might even think the same today. But here Jesus makes the statement that the opposite is true. In fact, it is the gentle and the meek who will inherit the earth. Now, these Beatitudes aren't getting any easier, are they? When Pastor Adam took us through, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Those whose hearts are desperate for God. And last week, when uh, we looked at, uh, Blessed are those who mourn, those whose hearts are broken over sin, their own and the world's. We understand these first two a little better now, but that doesn't make them any easier. And so here at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is describing the character qualities of his followers, who he wants them to be and what he wants them to do. Happiness is the life goal for many people in our world. In our culture, we often have a misguided pursuit of happiness. We think that if we have money and stuff and fame, then we will be happy. But Jesus takes that pursuit of happiness and turns it on its head. A man went to see a psychiatrist. He said, doctor, I'm lonely and despondent and miserable. Can you help me? Well, the psychiatrist suggested that he go to a circus and see a famous clown who was said to make even the most despondent laugh with merriment. To which his patient said, I am that clown. So what is Jesus asking or saying to us today? 
when we hear him say, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek. What does that mean? Now, common to each of the Beatitudes is this opening word, the word blessed. And the Greek word that is used here can be translated happy or fortunate or blessed. In fact, almost every English translation that you'll find takes that Greek word and translates it in one of those three ways. But the definition that we've been using is from James Houston, where he suggests that the characteristics of the the kinds of people that, that follow Jesus would be those who are authentic and real. They're deeply fulfilled and they're in touch with the fruitfulness of God. Now, that isn't our usual definition of blessed. Because when we think of blessing, we think of, you know, being blessed, like receiving a blessing from God. And so something good happens to us, right? We get a new car, and so we take a picture, and we post it on Instagram, and it's like, hashtag blessed. Or we go on a vacation, like pre-COVID time, and say, you know, take a picture of the beach, and it's like, hashtag blessed. But here in Matthew 5, it's used to introduce someone who is to be congratulated, someone whose place in life is an enviable one. And what we wouldn't expect is that the life of the meek is to be envied. I mean, it is a tough one to understand, is it? And I think, I think it's mostly because we don't understand what it means to be meek. Meek sounds far too similar to weak. I mean, can you imagine going for a job interview and the interviewer takes out uh, some paper and he looks at it and goes, well, I've looked over your resume and everything seems great, but I just have a few questions for you. If you could give me one word to describe your leadership qualities, what would that be? And you go, I'm meek. And I'm sure his eyes would furrow a little bit and wonder exactly who you are. Or what if you're a candidate running to be Prime Minister of Canada and a reporter stops you and says, you know, just give us one reason that we should vote for you. What, what is the characteristic quality that would, would, would cause us to, to want you to be our leader? And the response is, I'm meek? It just sounds totally absurd, doesn't it? And that's because we think that meek means weak or timid. Or indecisive, you know, easygoing, mild-tempered, submissive, spineless, someone who gets walked on, a doormat. And if that's what we think about what the word meek means, we'd be wrong. This is where it's so helpful to go to the original language of the New Testament. The Greek word that's used here means gentle and humble and meek. It carries the idea of being considerate and courteous. It it was used to describe a, a wild animal that had been tamed to obey the command of its master. And so the outward expression of being meek is one of gentleness. It implies a sensitivity and a kindness in dealing with other people. The inward expression of of meekness is uh, is humility. The humility, this humility involves an honest assessment of ourselves in relationship to God and others. 
And so if we put all of these various ideas together, you begin to see a picture emerge and discover what meek actually means. And one of the best definitions I read was simply this, a controlled desire to see others' interests advance ahead of one's own. A controlled desire to see others' interests advance ahead of one's own. Or simply, strength under control. So far from being weak, a meek person, in fact, knows their strength. They know their authority, but is able to control it in the interests of others. And when we think of that definition around being used around a wild animal, you recognize that the strength of that animal is still there. It's just now that it's under control. And so when you think of horses that are, be, are tamed and then simply controlled by some reins. Uh, Tina is from Cleveland, Ohio, and often when we go visit, we have an opportunity to just travel south a little bit, and there's a very large Amish community. And it just is... Uh, uh, takes you back to a simpler life. And the horse and buggy is the way that they transport themselves around on the, on the highways. They use horses on the fields. And they'll have these ginormous uh, John Deere plows, you know, even the green and yellow plows, pulled by four or six horses. And they just go back and forth, and they'll cover a lot of ground in a short period of time, all controlled by the farmer just standing on the back. A couple of uh, years ago, as you know, we have host winter delight um, or um, in, uh, in, the, in the winter. And there's um, a driver that takes that. And I asked him, like, what does he do? And I was a little bit um, ignorant about exactly what he takes um, to make this thing go. And I kind of thought that once a path was laid, the horses would just keep following that path. But in fact, he would just hold the reins in his hand and with just a slight twist of the wrist could totally control the direction of that team of horses. It was absolutely incredible. And to demonstrate just how much control he had, he just started doing figure eights all over the park with the horse and just taking them there to show that he could do whatever he needed to do with just a simple flick of the wrist. Meek or strength under control. Friends, if you ask me, I think that's one of those character qualities that is so absolutely essential in these days. So many of us have seen videos and we kind of laugh at some of the scenes of people fighting over toilet paper early on in this pandemic in, in the stores. I even saw, I read a story about a lady who on Mother's Day got so irate that she had to wait three hours for her Mother's Day meal at Red Lobster, of all places. She was waiting to take take out. I mean, I think after an hour, I'd be gone. But anyway, she waited three hours. By this point, she couldn't take it anymore. She totally loses control, goes completely berserk. She, She gets into a fight with the employees. She slaps one of the employees. Of course, the employee's not gonna take that very well. And an all out brawl ensues at this Red Lobster in Pennsylvania. It's craziness. It's certainly not a demonstration of being meek. What kind of examples of meekness could we look at this morning? You know, yesterday I was asking Tina for her thoughts on this, and I had thought of a, of a story of just how I grew up, um, you know, very competitive, you know, kind of a win-at-all-costs kind of, kind of person and played lots of sports, and it, and it just infuriated me when we, when we lost 
And, uh, and I was going to use that as an illustration, and she said, no, I, I wouldn't talk about yourself. And so I, I'm not. And, um, but, but I said, well, then what, what is a good example of, give me an illustration of meekness? And she kind of looks at me, and she goes like, Jesus? And so I had either the choice of talking about myself or Jesus, and so I think I'll talk about Jesus. But first, let me just think about an event in the life of Abraham that you find in Genesis chapter 13. Abraham had land, and he had um, a lot of livestock, and a dispute arose between him and, and his nephew Lot around the grazing fields. Lot was actually kind of riding coat, on the coattails of, of Abraham, his uncle. And Abraham could have just exerted a little bit of his authority and just sent Lot off to go fend for himself and go find some land for himself. Instead, he decides that he will take the, the land that they have and they're going to divide it and um, make it available to Lot. And what's really incredible is that he actually allows Lot to make the first choice. I mean, think about this for a moment. The land is Abraham's. Abraham is the leader of the clan. He had every right to choose first and to claim the very best land for himself. But he doesn't do that. Now, of course, Lot picks the best of the land, right? The the well-watered, lush plain. I mean, who of us wouldn't make the same choice? But for Abraham, harmony and testimony were far more important to him than his rights. And so in meekness, he waived his rights and he laid aside his power and his authority. Now, to prove that I'm not anything like Abraham and a lot more like Lot, Yesterday morning, Tita made breakfast for us as a family, and uh, it was a great breakfast, hash browns, bacon, eggs, toast, and uh, we called, all, called Lucas and Anna up, and I sat down at the, the kitchen bar, and there was four plates there, and I sat down, and I looked at my plate, and I looked at the plate next to me, and there was more bacon on the plate next to me. So what do you think I did? I moved over to that next seat. Of course, because there was more bacon. Now, knowing Tina, she had meticulously counted out, and if there was a little bit uh, more bacon she on one plate, she would have taken the plate with less bacon on it. Sorry, kids. I'll make it up for you later. We'll get dilly bars or something, and it'll all be good. So here's the principle, other than the fact that you should uh, watch your bacon when you're around me, is this. Meekness requires trust. It requires trust. Because if we trust God to provide, then we don't have to strive or manipulate or demand that our needs are met. We can be meek and surrender our rights because we trust God to provide. We usually think of meekness as something we show to others, but it really begins with our attitude toward God. The meek person trusts God for his needs, so he doesn't need to compete with others to get what he wants or needs or even thinks is fair. Now, Jesus is, of course, a a great example of meekness. It's not usually the way that we think of Jesus, to think that he was meek and mild. But when you think about it, the day that he rode into Jerusalem on that first Palm Sunday, he demonstrated meekness. He rode in on a donkey when he he could have come in as, as the king that he was, riding on a stallion. 
He was meek when he took on the role of a servant and washed his disciples' dirty and calloused feet. He was even meek in the garden when the guards came to arrest him. And they asked if he was Jesus of Nazareth. And when he said, I am he, just the very power of those words, the guards fell to the ground. Peter, of course, tried to step in and protect him. And he pulled out his sword and cut off the ear of the, uh, the, the, of the servants. And Jesus scolded him. Put that away. He chose to go quietly. Jesus was falsely accused. He, he didn't defend himself, but he could have. He was just unjustly sentenced. He could have demanded a, a fair trial, but he didn't. And while he hung on a cross, he could have summoned a legion of angels to come and rescue him, but he didn't. Why? Well, Peter tells us why in 1 Peter 2, verse 23. He says, When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Jesus yielded to wicked people an unfair treatment in order that he may die for the sins of the world. He surrendered to his Father's will. And so meekness requires this trust. And meekness requires a surrendered heart. When we come to that place of trust, when we trust Jesus with our deepest needs, we don't demand our rights, we don't elevate our preferences, we don't try to control people or our circumstances, because blessed are the meek. They are those who are willing to surrender their needs and wants and dreams to God. Jesus makes a wonderful invitation. In Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am, what, gentle or meek. I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Doesn't that sound like a better way to live? Instead of chasing happiness, exhausting ourselves in this pursuit, getting on on that rat race, the treadmill of all of the things that we think we need to do when we just wish that we could slow down and rest. Maybe that's one of the biggest gifts that we've received during this pandemic is just uh, the cleared-off calendar and the ability to slow down and rest. You see, to me and people like me, maybe that describes you, Jesus comes and he says, Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who give way, who let go, who surrender their agendas to God. Now, blessed are the meek. And Jesus makes not only an invitation in Matthew 11, but he makes a promise back here in the Beatitudes when he says in the second half of this Beatitude, for they will inherit the earth. You see, those who heard Jesus there on that mountainside, they would have immediately thought about God's promise to bring Israel into that land. 
They lived with the daily reminder that the land that God had promised them was in the hands of someone else. These were people for whom meekness was a daily challenge. And they would have heard this promise through the ears of the oppressed. And to them and to us, Jesus says, give way, yield to God's word, abandon yourself to God's promise, abandon yourself to God's purposes and plans, let go of your own hopes and dreams, and trust God. Surrender your agenda to God and trust in his good plans and purposes for you. You see, when we yield to God and his perfect will for our lives, we are free then to yield to others, knowing that our lives are in his hands and that his purposes will ultimately be accomplished. Notice that Jesus says here that they will inherit the earth. Inherit is an interesting word choice. Remember, the Beatitudes are more about being than they are about doing. And what do you have to do to inherit something? Nothing, right? In fact, as soon as you start trying to get an inheritance, something's wrong, right? Like when you start to wish that your rich uncle, you know, kind of maybe passes away, you suddenly have disqualified yourself from that inheritance, The only way to inherit something is to be rightly related to the person who has something to give away. So the only way to inherit the earth is to surrender to the one who owns it. And one more thing to notice here. The inheritance is the earth. Notice that Jesus didn't say, we'll inherit the world. He's not referring then to things like wealth or fame or comfort, things the world tells us that we need to have and to have more of in order to be happy. But the Bible tells us that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The earth includes all of the good things that God has made and all of the good gifts that he gives to his children, like beauty and meaning and love and significance. And so the earth represents the goodness and fullness of God, both in this life and in the life to come. That's quite a promise. And so if we were to summarize this beatitude, the third beatitude, I, I go to Eugene Peterson and his paraphrase of, uh, called The Message. He takes the Bible and doesn't translate it, but paraphrases and expands on it. And he says this, he says, You're blessed when you're content with just who you are. No more, no less. That's the moment you find yourselves proud owners of everything that can't be bought. Friends, it can't be bought. And so where does it come from? Number one, I want to suggest to you this morning these three things. Number one, receive Jesus as your Lord and bow, or sorry, receive Jesus as your Savior and bow to him as your Lord. You see, meekness is not natural. This doesn't come easy to us. It goes against our natural inclinations. And so we actually need a changed heart. And so when we come to Jesus, he makes a new creation out of the old and he transforms us. And then it's a daily act of surrendering control of our lives to God. Where he is now in the driver's seat. He's calling the shots. 
And we walk in obedience to him because we absolutely trust him and believe that our Heavenly Father knows exactly what you need, what we need, and he's able to provide it. And thirdly, we then trust the Holy Spirit to continue to develop meekness in our lives. Because it's a change of heart that takes time. And this has to be a work of the Spirit. That's why the Apostle Paul said, For the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, or meekness. It's the same word. And self-control. You see, meekness is having hands that are extended toward God instead of grasping after lesser things. Hands that are open to receive whatever God has for us instead of us clinging tightly to something that we think we need. I read a story in preparation for this message of an African student named Sam. And I think it wonderfully illustrates meekness and makes this real for us this morning. He attended Taylor University, a Christian college in Indiana, which is not to be confused with Taylor Seminary down down the the street here um, from TCC. Um, Sam was a bright young man with great promise, and the school felt very honored to have him. And so when he arrived on campus, the president of the university took him on a tour of the campus, showing him all of the dorms. And when the tour was finished, the president asked Sam where he would like to live. And the young man simply replied, if there is a room that no one wants, please give that room to me. The president turned away in tears because over the years he had welcomed thousands of Christian men and women to the campus and no one had ever made such a request. If there is a room that no one wants, give that room to me. Friends, that's meekness. If there's a job that no one wants to do, I'll do that job. If there's a kid who, who, who no one wants to eat their lunch with, I'll eat my lunch with that kid. If, if, if there's a parking spot that's far away from the church, I'll, I'll park in that space. If there's a sacrifice someone needs to make, I'll, I'll make that sacrifice. Friends, As we continue in these days of COVID-19, I believe we all will have plenty of opportunity to not exert our rights, to let go, to let others go first, to yield to them as an expression of our surrender to God. That's meekness. When we can look at those that are coming down the aisle and heading towards that open social distancing spot and we just stop and we say, you go first or after you. Friends, I believe with all my heart and what Jesus is teaching here, it's a wonderful invitation and he's inviting us into a way of living, a new way of life, a way of life that he himself modeled. And so maybe there's one thing that you need to surrender to God today, something that you've been holding on to, trying to control Maybe it's a dream, and because that dream is now on hold or shattered, you're just in inner turmoil. But if you surrender the dream to him, trust him to provide and make your, make your future possible. Maybe it's a fear or a relationship or a material thing. But when we clutch things in our hands, we miss the best that God has for us. When we can hold them open before him.
and say, not my will be done, but yours. So in closing, let me give you four quick questions just to ponder and discuss. Maybe if you're with a friend or a family, or you can watch this later and think back to these questions. Let me just throw these at you real quick. What do you need to be happy? Ask yourself that question. What do you need to make you happy? And how much of that do you need? What might you be holding on to tightly? Is there something or or maybe even someone that you're trying to control? Is there anything that you need to surrender? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the challenge of it. We're reminded this morning of what it means to be poor in spirit and those who mourn, but especially as we unpack this third beatitude, blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. Father, I pray that we would be a people who hold on to things loosely and that we would not be people who always demand our rights, but that we would be people who would be quick to yield to other people and to give up our agenda for your best for our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.